Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah, the ninth chapter, beginning in the second verse. It reads, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch-dark land, light has dawned. You have made the nation great. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as those who divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you shattered the yoke that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. Because every boot of the thundering warriors and every garment rolled in blood will be burned, fuel for the fire. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and authority will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. There will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. For the zeal of the Lord of the heavenly forces will do this. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you know, this is the the second week of our sermon series titled Christmas Gifts. We know that Christmas is the season of giving. It is the time where we give gifts to family and we give them to our friends. And during Advent, we are considering the opportunity for the church to give gifts to the world this season. We're talking about it in the metaphors of hope, joy, peace, and love. But we're thinking about those as tangible things as well, not just as metaphors. So what does it mean for us to give the gift of hope? For us to share with those in the world around us the expectation that God is still on a mission and still doing something in this world. God is not absent. That is the hope that we have. This week we consider the power of giving the gift of peace. I don't know about you, but I think peace seems to be a rather elusive concept in our world today especially when nearly everything we read or hear is contentious rhetoric or opinionated perspective, amen, right? We're divided across so many lines that it is hard for us to be in conversation with someone on the other side because our common goal isn't peace. Our individual goal often is to be affirmed, affirmed that our worldview is the right view of the world which means that any counter view has to be wrong. There are seven billion people on this planet. Seven different, seven billion different ways in which we see the world. Not all of us are right, and not all of us are wrong. I, like many of you, took a few moments this week to watch the state funeral and the ceremonies for former President George Herbert Walker Bush. In preparation for this sermon, I also took a little bit of time to to read a little bit more about the former president as well. Here's a couple of things of note about the 41st president of our country. Interestingly, he is only one of two vice presidents who, after their term of service, ascended to the presidency. Did you know that? He and Martin Van Buren are the only two vice presidents who went on to become president right after serving their term as the vice president. He also had a rather distinguished resume of public service prior to ever becoming president of the United States. 
During World War II, he was an aviator that was shot down over the Pacific. He thought his goose was cooked because there was a submarine coming at him while he was in the water. Luckily for him, it wasn't a, a Japanese submarine. It was an American submarine, and he was rescued. He was also noted for being a two-term congressman from Texas. Now, most of you know that George Herbert Walker Bush was not born in Texas. He was a New Englander. He chose to move to Texas and have Texas become his home. Now, I don't know about any of you. I, I know most of you are not from Texas. Maybe one of us, Aaron in the choir, is from Texas. But when I left Texas in 1992, they threw a party when I left. It's amazing how for our former president of the United States, they accepted him as a Texan. They say that you can be born into Texas and be a Texan that way, or you can become a Texan. Somebody will have to explain that one to me. I don't understand it. But. He was also, as many people noted, ambassador to the United Nations, chairman of the Republican National Committee. He was a U.S. envoy to China, director of the Central Intelligence Agency, along with being vice president under Ronald Reagan. In describing former President Bush, a New York Times writer said, he was a man born into power, wealth, and privilege, a graduate of Phillips Academy in Massachusetts and a graduate of Yale. He was schooled in the good manners and the graciousness of New England privilege and civic responsibility. Public service was his call to duty. In 1988 at the Republican National Convention in New Orleans, he gave his acceptance speech for the nomination to be the Republican candidate for president. And in his speech, he said, I am a man who sees life in terms of missions, missions defined and missions completed. His mission as president would be to keep America moving forward and to strive for a better America. Did you hear that last part? To strive for a better America. At the end of his speech, he said, that is my mission, and I will complete it. Now, here's one thing I think maybe is an example from his presidency that might help us understand how he tried to be true to his vision and his mission. When he became president, the Cold War was ending. The 40-year-long Cold War was coming to an end. He drew many complaints from both sides of the aisle because he chose not to seize the reins of history and exert American dominance in Eastern Europe. Instead, the president decided to deploy a nuanced and collaborative approach. He worked with the Soviet leader, Mikhail Gorbachev, to allow for the reunification of Germany and the dissolution of the Soviet Union in order that the Cold War might end. But then he went a little bit further. He, along with Mr. Gorbachev, signed treaties mandating the reduction in each country's stockpiles of nuclear and chemical weapons. Former President Bush's mission of striving for a better America included an America that was at peace with the rest of the world, and he believed that sticking the proverbial finger in the eye of Mr. Gorbachev would not have been in line with the vision of a better America. President Bush was a man, as the article notes, of rare grace and humility. I was thinking about this, and, and another thought came to mind for me. Maybe in his death and his funeral, former President Bush gave us one last gift, a few days of peace. Amen? 
especially since you consider that Congress took a few days off and didn't accomplish much of anything the first part of last week. That might have brought us a temporary peace. What a joy, right? To have peace from the news channels and their constant onslaught of divisiveness. To have a, a pause between the bickering between Democrats and Republicans over important and a lot of mundane matters. A few days of unity and peace as we mourn together the last president of the greatest generation. His gift to us might have been a few days where America was maybe just a little better. Friends, isn't that a sad state of affairs? Isn't it telling that it takes the death of a former president for us to have a moment of national peace? That in our darkness, in his death, that that's what will bring a moment. You know, what's fascinating about this is, is this is antithetical to what God envisions and desires for you and for me. We aren't supposed to find peace in darkness and in death. We are meant to find peace in the light of living. Did you catch that? We, friends, are meant to find peace in the light of living. Now, I'm going to ask that you indulge me for a moment and allow me a few moments to share a little bit of scholarly history about today's text from Isaiah. For those of you that like, don't like scholarly stuff, feel free to check out your Facebook page for the next couple of minutes. But for the rest of you that might be interested, here, here's a couple of things you might want to know about Isaiah and about this text. It, it's surmised that this text deals with events that have happened during and immediately following a time of war particularly the syro ephraimatic War of 734 BCE. The prophetic hymn, or the poem as it might be called, has been composed to celebrate the birth of a new crown prince somewhere after 732. See, the birth of this new descendant of David was seen as a sign of God's deliverance. The Lord God is praised for ending the military and the political danger that the people had been in, and this newborn prince stirs up for them a vision of an ending to all of their oppression and the war, that the peace, people might live in ultimate peace. You see, in reality, this new son was the hope for a perpetual peace, and that peace would be marked by God's justice and righteousness, that it would rule all the world. A people who were at war and oppressed have been walking in the confusion and the dismay of the darkness of their time. But now, in the birth of a new prince, light had come into their world. Joy was increased at the prospect of national salvation. Peace was near as God ended their oppression by shattering the yoke of bondage and the war tools of their oppressors. It was God's will and mission for the Israelites to be at peace with the world around them. Unfortunately, it was only temporary. During the season of Advent, we're reminded of the link between Isaiah and the Gospels. We are the benefactors of the rest of the story as presented in the New Testament Gospels. It is a luxury, a testimony that the first readers and the hearers of Isaiah were not exposed to. But for us, the Gospels proclaim that Jesus is the newborn son of David, the one who would administer 
justice and establish righteousness. His birth and his life were the foundation for the inauguration of the reign of peace. A peace that would come to fruition and someday be eternal. Someday be lasting. We believe this is God's will and mission for the life of his son. I believe that it is God's will and mission for each of us who are part of the church to continue the establishment of God's kingdom of peace marked by justice and righteousness, a peace that will someday be complete and eternal. We should be people who are sending peace into our world. So let me ask you, how do you participate in this? What is it? that we learn from both the Isaiah hymn and the birth and the life story of Jesus? I think the answer lies in these words. For unto us a child is born. Did you hear that? For unto us a child is born. Notice that in Isaiah it is a child that is the agent of peace and justice and righteousness. And in the Gospels, God becomes one of us in the form of a child born in the manger in Bethlehem. Not a person of power and privilege, but the meek and the lowly. For each of us to send peace into our world, we will need to learn to inhabit the form of an infant. Because we'll not send peace into the world through power and force, but through meaningful and deep connections and relationships. The kind of connections that an infant can foster. I think of it this way. An infant has no ego to protect or project. Infants are an example of humility. Infants don't participate in unhealthy conflict. Rather, infants have the power to bring a sense of unity and a sense of peace to those that are around them. This is the form we need to take in order to send peace into our world, the form of a humble child. I read lightly through a book this week titled The Power of Humility, Choosing Peace Over Conflict. It's written by Charles and Barbara Whitfield, Russell Park, and Janine Pravat. They have three ideas in their book, the three uh, tools that they give in their book. But the premise of their book is this. It says that humility is the tool that will help us avoid unhealthy conflict so that we might find greater peace in our lives. Humility is the first of the tools that they mention. Humility, as the author state, is not groveling or being a doormat. It's a powerful attitude and state of mind. It opens us up to more choices so that we might have peaceful resolutions. The beginning of the sermon, I talked about how we find ourselves in conversation with one another, how often we're looking for our worldview to be affirmed and to point out that the other person's worldview is wrong, right? In many conversations, I have noticed that people do not listen to others for the purpose of trying to understand. We listen for the purpose of responding. Amen? Right? Our goal is to convince the other and onlookers that my perspective is right and your perspective has some faults to it, is wrong. And so we have fairly consistent battles of ego and worldview, which creates conflict in our interactions. 
Humility is being willing to listen to another person for the purpose of learning and growing. It holds out the possibility that our worldview may not be entirely accurate. It gives space for new realizations, change for growth. In this way, we can talk and we can create peace. We can send peace into our world if we'll be humble. The second tool that they mention is, is that we should avoid unhealthy triangles, which means that you don't find yourself getting trapped into a conflict between two other people. You don't take on someone else's burdens. Friends, we live under the biblical principle of speaking the truth in love, which is a two-way interaction, not a three-way interaction. I want to encourage you. If you have a concern with someone on staff or in the pews, please go to them directly. Because if you bring it to me and it isn't about me, I'm going to ask you if you have spoken to the other person directly. I choose not to own your burden or concern because that violates our teaching of speaking the truth in love to one another, of holding to that two-way interaction. This should apply to every area of your life. So avoid unhealthy triangulation because it only creates further unhealthy it gets you in the middle of that conflict. The third tool they've mentioned, though, is, is to choose, however, to participate in healthy triangles. There is such a thing. Choose to participate in things where God and others are working for the good of our community around us and the good of the world. Where God and others are working to bring about peace through justice and righteousness. We should find ourselves involved in the healthy things that include God and others, that we might be a part of that. Because that is the mission and the vision of God for this world. Through people who would be humble, humble like a small child, God can use them to be instruments that sends peace into the world. I pray that each of us strive to live into God's invitation so that we might find ourselves truly sending peace into our world. To do so, here's what I believe God is inviting us today. When you're in what could easily become a contentious conversation with someone else, what typically is your posture? Are you strong? Are you powerful? Believing that your perspective is the only and true perspective. Do you minimize and demonize the other person because their perspective is different than yours? Or are you willing to be humble to listen, to learn, so that you might grow in understanding, so that you might grow knowing that this can send peace into your world. Are you involved in an unhealthy triangle at this moment? That's the second thing. There's power in giving the work back to the person who saddled you with their burden. And I'm going to encourage you to get yourself out of unhealthy triangles if you find yourself in the middle of because you know it isn't creating peace for you or for anyone else. It's probably creating more conflict. And finally, ask yourself this. Are you finding places and spaces where God and others are working to bring about peace through justice and righteousness? If you could give any gift this year, I believe the gift of time toward God's work of peace 
would be the greatest gift that you could give to your world. And our worship guide has several opportunities for you to join with us in sending peace into the world that is around us. Are you involved in the places where God is at work and working through others to bring peace, righteousness, and justice to this world? If not, maybe today is the day to join, tomorrow, this week. Because the people who were living in darkness experienced the birth of a new son the wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and the prince of peace. And in this child, life and light came into the world. The kingdom of God was inaugurated. I think God invites every single one of us today to receive the gift of God's son so that we might have the light and life in us that can send peace 